is us. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast of Sunday Morning Live, led by Pastor Denise Suttles. We live air every Sunday morning. Please feel free to join us via Zoom. Our meeting ID is notated on our podcast page. Now, please turn with me to Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 30, verse 17. Jeremiah, chapter 30, verse 17. Hopefully you have found that and able to read along. We are reading from the NIV Reader's Version, the NIV Reader's Version. Jeremiah 30, verse 17, for I will restore you to health and I will heal you of your wounds, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast, saying, it is Zion, no one cares for her. I would like to use for a subject this morning, I'm scarred for life. I'm scarred for life. Have you ever been hurt so badly that you felt that you would never heal? As a teenager, I worked in a greasy spoon establishment a long time ago, and I had to fry stuff. And I got a horrible burn, and it took weeks for this burn to heal. And to this day, I can still see the scar on my arm some almost 50 years later. The scar, you can barely see it. It's, it's almost undetectable, but the scar is still there. Maybe some of you all have some scars on your body from your past that most of the time you don't notice, but on a really rough day, those emotional scars from your past come to the surface. Scars, scars are a reminder of something. And most of the time, a scar reminds us of something that is unpleasant. Most of our scars indicate something painful that happened in the past. God made our skin so that it would scar when it is torn or burned. We all have physical scars of some sort on our bodies. Some of us have battle scars. Some have surgical scars. Some have scars from accidents. And as we mentioned, many have emotional scars. Physical scars are visible and often very obvious, but emotional scars and wounds that produce them are not as easy to detect. So I do, I, I really do want to make one thing clear and distinguish between wounds and scars. Wounds are injuries that have not healed. Scars develop from wounds but only wounds that have healed. Beloved, there is always the temptation for those of us that are wounded. Instead of letting God heal that wound and, and, and turning that wound over to God so that God can allow the emotional scar tissue to heal that painful memory and turn it into a scar and then turn it into a testimony, so many of us instead want to go back and uncover that wound and mess with that scar and then remember and retreat and shrink back and then eventually fall away. We need to remember that that's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to keep quiet about what God has brought us through. He wants us to 
uncover the scar and try to put salt in the wound. The enemy wants us to grovel in the fear and the pain that the same thing can happen to me again. How do you feel about your scars? Do your scars still cause you anxiety when you remember them? Do your scars cause you to be ashamed? Do your, do your scars call you the feeling of revenge when you remember how the scar happened? Or do your scars make you grateful that you were rescued. We need to allow our scars to remind it, remind us that even though we were wounded, God brought us through and now we're healed. I know it's not healthy to live in the past, but every now and then we need to remember what God has brought us through. We need to remember what God has delivered us from. How do you know that God doesn't want you to use your testimony to bless someone else that's going through what, you're, what you've gone through? Someone else that has lost a child. Someone else that has been assaulted. Someone else that has been abused. Someone else that has been in an accident. God brought you through. Now you need to encourage someone else and let them know this is my story. Survival is possible and God will bring you through. Beloved, your scars don't mean that you failed. Your scars don't mean that you did something wrong and take you into shoulda, woulda, coulda. Scars mean that you have been healed and that God wants us to count our blessings. Oh, it is the human tendency, and I even think it's even easier to count our miseries. You know, they say misery loves company, and we make everyone around us miserable. But when we are marinating over our mis mis uh, miseries, it will shrink our soul. And we end up even more miserable than when we started. But when we consistently, oh my God, and God always leaves us room to praise. When we consistently count our blessings, if you've been one that has been miserable for years and now you want to move over to the other camp of counting your blessings, it, it is a bit taxing at first. It's, it's awkward at first because you're not used to being positive, but one step at a time and one blessing at a time, begin to tell God, thank you. Look around at all that God has blessed you with. Look around at all that God has brought you through. And when you begin counting your blessings, joy will begin to overflow. Joy is overflowing because instead of your soul shrinking, your soul begins to expand. And when praises go up, <coughs> blessings come down. When we focus on what God has brought us through, when we focus on the emotional healing that only God could do, rather than marinating on how we were hurt and who hurt us and when we were hurt, we will be happier individuals, will be content and will be less agitated and angry. In fact, when we face our miseries directly and look for the blessing in them, yes, rather than running from the misery, face it and look for the blessings, something miraculous will begin to happen. Number one, we'll begin to view life differently. We'll be able to see things from God's perspective and see our circumstances through the lens of faith. 
And then we will be able to declare with confidence that even in the worst of my pain, God is still good. Even when I cried my tears at midnight, when no one was around, I can still be thankful. We are thanking God for our scars. Specifically, thank God for those areas of your life that have been healed. As we consider the deep pain that caused the wounds and we see a scar, be reminded that it is a wound that was healed. Beloved, we have a deep and steadfast trust that God is guiding all of our circumstances, even when life is painful, giving God thanks for every scar will, like I said, change our perspective. We will, will, will you focus on the wound that caused the scar? Or will you choose to focus on the God that healed you? Now, I don't think I've ever seen a scar that looks pretty. You know, some folk, they want to show you their surgeries. They, you know how we did as kids. They want to show you their scars. And I was never one that wanted to look at other folks' scars. And I still don't. They're, they're not pretty. They are unpleasant to the sight. And the enemy would love for us to focus on that scar and say to ourselves, I'm scarred for life. Yes, I am scarred for life. The enemy wants us to say that I'm broken, but baby, I'm not broken because God healed my wound. The enemy would love for us to say that we are unpleasant, that we are not pleasant to be around, that we are not pleasant to interact with, but that is a lie from the enemy because God has healed my wounds. I may be scarred for life, but God has taken what was unsightful. God was has taken what was difficult to deal with and has turned it into something beautiful. See, the enemy wants us to focus on the scar, but the Savior wants us to focus on the things that he has done. Focus on the beautiful face of our Savior, our Deliverer, and then testify about what God has brought you through. Despite the physical experience, appearance, despite the physical appearance, every scar serves a purpose. Scars have the ability to preach. Scars have the ability to tell a story that no one else can tell. Our scars, they tell the story that God will work all things for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Scars tell the story that every weapon that is formed against me shall not prosper. Scars tell the story that every fiery dart from the enemy shall be quenched with the shield of faith. Our scars, they signify that we've been in battle. Hallelujah. But we won. We need to reframe how we view our scars. Yes, we've been in a battle, but we came through victorious. My scar is telling the story that God is the God of promise. My scars are telling the story that God is the God of purpose. Let your scars testify to the very goodness of God. One songwriter said, I don't look like what I've been through, but baby, you still got a few scars that are telling about God's goodness, God's greatness, and God's faithfulness. Let your scars be a showcase for the glory of God. The things that hurt us the most 
have the power to help us the most. The things that hurt us the most have the power to help us the most. In other words, the anointing, when God wants to use you, the anointing comes from the things that you have suffered and God has brought you through. The calling that is on your life, most of that calling is refined in the pain that God brought you through. Our scars show us that we are stronger than the thing that tried to hurt us. Our scars, they are a testimony of faith, endurance, and perseverance. Our scars, they remind us of how far we have come. These scars are our trophies if we will allow them to be. They are our physical testimony of the power and redeeming and saving work of our Lord. Go with me, please, as I am reminded of the disciple that we call so often Doubting Thomas. Thomas, when the disciples came back and told Thomas, we have seen the Lord, but oh, Thomas said, I will not believe until I touch the wounds, until I put my hand where the wounds were, until I see the scars on his body. I will not believe. I will not believe. See, we assume that when we get to heaven, all of our scars will be gone. Every tear will be wiped away and we will suffer no more. And, and, and I believe that that is true. But the resurrected Christ, hallelujah, he still has scars. Thomas's reaction to the risen Christ was when he saw the scars was my Lord and my God. Jesus still has scars. I don't know what it felt like for him to be with Thomas and Thomas to see the scars. But I do know that Thomas believed because of the scars. It was the scars that caused the disciples to recognize Jesus. Jesus didn't get those scars by sitting back and waiting on God. He got those scars because he was the embodiment of the sovereignty of God. He got those scars because he was doing the very will of God while he was bringing good news to the poor, while he was giving sight to the blind, while he was feeding the captives and raising the dead. Jesus suffered the the scars for our redemption and Thomas reached out and touched the physical consequences of the father giving the son in a fallen world and sustaining those scars. See, beloved, scars are both our grief and our hope. Mm. They are our grief because of what I went through to get the scars. But they are also our our blessing. Mm. They are our hope because of what we learned through the lessons from the pain. They are our hope because of what we've been through. They are our hope because Jesus rose from the dead and still has the scars. Yet in eternity, our scars are the very glory of God because even death does not have the last word. No matter what kind of scars I've had to go through, no matter what my future holds for me. 
We are in Christ and we know that he is guiding all of our circumstances. And with that assurance, we can be thankful. Thank you, God, for every scar that I have, especially the emotional scars. You brought us through things that we thought we could never get through. But, oh, God, you brought us through and you brought us out. No matter, oh God, what it is, your power is greater than the wound. Your power will heal us. Your power will even heal our past. So now when we look back, it's no longer affiliated with the pain. The wound no longer causes us pain. The wound has healed. And all we have is a testimony to your faithfulness. Oh God, we thank you for the resurrection. I'm reminded of Isaiah when I think about the scars of Jesus. His scars that he has on his head, the scars that he has in his hands, the the scar from the piercing in his side, the scars in his feet, they were not always scars. Isaiah let us know that he was wounded. One day, um, those scars were an open wound because he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities and by his stripes we are healed. Oh God, we thank you for every stripe. We thank you for what you endured. We thank you for what you went through and by your stripes we are healed hallelujah oh god thank you for the scars i'm scarred for life but it's good I thank God for the reminder of the healing. And when I'm wounded again, these old scars remind me that God will bring us through, that he will do it again. He did it before and he will do it again. Thank you, God for my scars. They may look a little ugly to some, but to me, they are beautiful reminders of God's healing grace. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank him right now for how he has healed you. You may not be totally even healed yet, but you are better than you were. And you're not as good as you're going to be. Go ahead and thank God in advance for what God is going to do as he heals that very deep wound. You've covered wounds. You've covered your wounds. Take all the the avoidance cloth off that wound. Take the denial cloth as though it never happened off that wound. Take the cloth of wanting to launch out at others and the anger off that wound. You've covered it with something other than God. Uncover the wound and let God heal you. I know it's a process, but only God can get down the deep and heal the wound. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, in advance. In the name of Jesus, oh God, we thank you for healing right now. Touch bodies, oh God, that are hurting. Regulate hearts, oh God. Touch diabetes. Heal cancer. Thank you for the miracle in the the miracle of healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. If you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, pray with me right now and admit that you are a sinner, that you have done things that did not please Jesus Christ, that you have lived your life for yourself only, 
Say, I am sorry for my sins and I repent. Forgive me, Jesus, for all the things that I have done. I believe that you died on the cross for me to save me. You did what I could not do for myself. I come to you now and ask you to take control of my life. I give my life to you. Come into my heart. From this day forward, help me to live every day for you in a way that pleases you. God bless you. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact me at 231-349-1046 as we explain to you the first steps of salvation. Welcome to the weekly podcast of Sunday Morning Live, led by Pastor Denise Suttles, You are listening to our live Sunday morning fellowship. We air live every Sunday morning. Please feel free to join us via Zoom. The meeting ID is notated on our podcast page. At this time, I would ask everyone to get their Bibles, please, and turn to St. John chapter 11. St. John chapter 11, verses 4 through 7 and verse 14. While you're finding these verses, I'd like to just ask you a question. If you find yourself in a waiting season, do you consider this season just a time to run in place, mark your time in place, Or do you consider it a wasted season? Waiting is one of the most important, loving ways that the Lord uses to reveal his glory and his love. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, how God designs waiting seasons to teach us and to reveal his love and his glory to us, which is the very foundation of our lives. Now, as we read from St. John chapter 11, verses 4 through 7 and verse 14. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 15. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. I would like to use for a subject, this is the lesson I learned in the waiting room. This is the lesson I learned in the waiting room. Today we're going to talk about why God seems late. Most of us, it, I hate to wait. I, I, I just have a natural tendency toward impatience. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time waiting. Some of us even can't stand to wait for water to boil or for the red light to turn green or the 30 seconds it takes to warm up 
are tea in the coffee. I don't know about you, but oh, when those children were getting ready, it was one of the most impatient times of my day because they would just drag and take their time. The reality is, though, there are so many of us that are listening today who are waiting on God. We're waiting on God to do something. And while we're waiting, so many have asked the question, God, why didn't you do what I asked you to do when I asked you to do it? But the reality is, at different seasons of our lives, God places us in the waiting room. And while we're waiting, many of us are thinking, God, you know you really could have done something about my situation. You really could have worked this out. And we wonder why God has not moved. We've seen him do similar things in other people's lives. We have faith. We've been praising God in spite of our situation. We've been faithful. We've been serving the church. And yet God is not doing what we ask him to do. Waiting is not easy. Maybe you're waiting for God to provide the right job. You're you're ready to go to work. You've been laid off for 12 months. The unemployment and the stimulus check is really not enough to take care of all of your household needs. Or maybe you're waiting on God to work a miracle in a relationship with a spouse, with a sibling, or even with your children. Or you may have your house on the market to sell. And you're waiting for God to cause that someone to come by and buy that home from you. You may be praying about your children. Praying that God would save them. But whatever it is that you're waiting for, it could be a miracle in your health. A special kind of physical situations where the doctor has given you a bad report. We need to ask the question again, is a waiting season a wasted season? Do you simply just use this time to march in place? Hopefully we can answer this question today as we look at St. John chapter 11. It's about three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were all very good friends of Jesus. Let's look at verse one. Verse one says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters, Mary and Martha, they sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Notice the closeness of their relationship. They didn't even have to call Lazarus' name. They just said, the one you love is sick. That's how close they were. They were so close that they were sure that Jesus would drop whatever he was doing and come running to heal his friend. They waited. But Jesus did not show up. And now their waiting has turned into pain because Lazarus has died. Beloved, when Jesus makes us wait, and now the waiting has turned into pain, His reasons are only 
love. Mm, don't turn me off. I know when I say that, that's how it makes you feel. I don't want to hear that. But when he wakes, makes us wait and the waiting has now become painful, the reason is because he loves us. God only ordains deep disappointment and profound suffering in order to give us greater joy in the glory that he reveals after the waiting season. I know I'm right. Romans 8 and 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Beloved, Jesus had come to Bethany to destroy the devil's work in Lazarus. He had come to give death a taste of its coming and final defeat. He had come to show that now was the time when the dead would hear the voice of the Son of God and those who heard would live. Jesus did not go to heal Lazarus when he heard that he was sick. He did not show up because he loved him and his sisters. He stayed where he was. He let Lazarus die because he loved him. Let's look at verses five and six. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, and I'm adding the word therefore. So, therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed away two days longer in the place where he was. The explanation that Jesus gives to this delayed response is letting Lazarus die was love. Look at verse four. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. In other words, it was more loving to put Lazarus through death and his sisters through grief because that would reveal more of the glory of Christ. In other words, Jesus loves us by showing us himself. Beloved, we must see him. It is an honor to see the glory of God and therefore we must be willing to wait. See, we think we see God when we get what we want. We think we see God when we have material blessings. We're not looking at God. We're looking at the blessings. God's love is measured by how much of himself he shows us. We must get past the blessings and be ready for the revelation of God's glory. What do we really want? Someone is saying, wait a minute. I, I measure God's love by John 3.16. Mother Tolliver quotes it every day. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. Yes, God's love is the gift of eternal life, but at the cost of his son. Jesus tells us in St. John 17 and 3, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The essence of eternal life is the never-ending knowing of God. 
And the greatness of that love only increases in proportion to the revelation of his revealed glory. St. John 14 and 21, it says, I love you and I manifest myself to you. This is how I love you. Beloved, in the days of suffering and loss, in the days of darkness, in the days of grief, in our days of waiting, know that Jesus is loving you. We think that he loves us when he takes away the suffering, when he takes away the loss, when he removes the darkness. But first, by giving us himself in ways that could only reveal himself to us in this painful waiting season. The love of God is when he reveals himself after we have waited a little while. Because he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, he stayed two days longer and let them walk through the valley of the shadow of death and then went and showed them his glory. The Bible says in verse 7, And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Let us go. Mm. He says, let's go. And his disciples remind Jesus in verse eight, just a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to kill you. Are you sure? The disciples are saying, if you go to Judea, you're going to run into a mob and get stoned. But Jesus says, no, I won't. There are 12 hours in the day and I am going to walk in the light of that day. I will not be in the dark. I will not stumble and I will not be stoned. I will arrive at my appointed time when I'm supposed to show up. When it is time for me to die, I have an appointment for that as well. In other words, Jesus is reminding his disciples that while it is yet day, this is the period of time where God's providence will surround me and protect me until my appointed time when I reach the cross of Calvary. Beloved, whatever you are going through right now, God ordained you to go through. That is your appointment. Jesus is saying to his disciples, there are 12 hours in a day. That is a complete day. And no one can cut God's timing short. God has a season when he wants us to wait. God has a season when we have to honor God's timing. And now Jesus is saying, let's go. It's time to go. Don't let fear keep you back. When God says it's time to go, whatever the threat is, whatever the accusation is, Jesus said, we are not going to be stoned. It's not God's timing yet. Now, Jesus arrives just outside, the Bible says, of Bethany. Mm. What some would consider four days late. He is near Jerusalem. And when he gets just outside of Bethany, three different people confront Jesus. Oh, beloved, be careful. And when you think you can confront 
Jesus. They confront. They, someone said, I didn't confront Jesus. Have you questioned him? Mm. They confronted him with questions. Mm. They were questioning his love for Lazarus. Birth, verse 6 says, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Everyone knew where Jesus was. They knew that he had delayed his, his, his arrival. They knew that he did not come. And to them, it did not look like love. And now Jesus has to hear this three times from Martha, Mary, and the mourners. And each one of them are questioning his love. Each one of them are judging him. They are suspicious of his relationship and his motives. They doubt and they accuse him. And the Bible says, Jesus wept. Look at these accusations. Number one, Martha. In verse 20 and 21, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now Mary in verse 32 now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, yes, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And now the mourners in verse 36 and 37, Jesus in 33, verse 33 had just wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? Jesus had chosen to love Lazarus and his sisters by not coming immediately. He had chosen to love them by making them wait. And now the fact that he did not show up when they thought he should have shown up, they are questioning his love. Now, how does Jesus respond? Mary says in verse 21 again, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She questions, but she hasn't given up on Jesus. Martha thinks she knows everything. She says in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus answers in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha says to him, I know, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Remember, Jesus is the day. Jesus says to her in verse 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In other words, I am the arrival, Martha, of the day that you are referring to. You said that your brother would arise on the last day. I am that day. I am what you are 
waiting for. The day has come. We wait for time. We wait for things to change. We hope for tomorrow. But Jesus is saying, I am the substance of all that you are waiting for. And while you are waiting, I am here with you. What you really are waiting for is the revelation of the glory of God. In other words, Martha, I am exactly what Lazarus needs. It does not matter what day I show up. I'm exactly what you need. Lazarus is dead, but Martha, you are alive. So listen, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's for Lazarus. (laughs) And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha That's for you. I will rescue Lazarus from the grave. And when I do, it doesn't matter if I'm four days late or if I came four days ago. It does not matter because I am the resurrection. And whoever believes in me, though he dies, he will live. And Martha, because you believe in me, You will never die. And this means I love you. I am revealing my power and my glory to you because I love you. Lord, it's an honor to wait. Mm. The more we wait mm, and don't let the waiting get painful. I know that I will witness your glory. At the end of verse 32, Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And as she said this, she was weeping. (laughs) Those that were with her were weeping. And Jesus saw their weeping. And now they're questioning, did you really love him? They are not, these are not just words. They are sobbing Where were you? And Jesus' response this time, he does not respond in words. The word that is word, the word that became flesh, the word now is responding with emotion. The Bible says in 33 that he wept, but this is not a compassionate Weeping. If you look up the Greek words here, what the author is trying to say is that his spirit was greatly troubled, that his spirit was deeply moved. Again, in verse 38, it says that the word, the compassion, the emotion that Jesus had was more of a rebuke. And a warning, it signifies that he was deeply, this weeping that Jesus did, he was deeply shaken and agitated. And beloved, the word has wept for our situation. It's the same word that was used in John 5 at the pool of Bethesda when the water was stirred or the water was agitated. It's the same word that was used in St. John 14 when Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be agitated. Uh, Jesus was shaken. Uh, Jesus was upset. Um, and Jesus was disturbed. Disturbed because now he is face to face with his greatest enemy. We were not created to die. 
Death is unnatural for us. Death is the object of the wrath of Jesus Christ. Death is the main arch enemy of Jesus. And he has come to destroy the power of death. It is the reason that he came into this world. And now Jesus is going to act. But before he acts, there is emotion. Mm. And this time, it is connected uh, to the suspicion and skepticism of the crowd. They have questioned his love. My God. They have questioned his power. And the writer, John, writes, Jesus was deeply disturbed when he came to the tomb. That's why he said with a loud voice, take away the stone. And one last time, Martha, who never knows when to be quiet, and she said as if Jesus didn't know, Lord, surely he's stinking by now. And now finally in response, Jesus makes the connection between what he is doing and what he said back in verse four. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that all can see that he is one with the father. And then Jesus cries out, Lazarus, Come forth. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face was wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said, loose the man and let him go. This is the glory of God. Jesus raised Lazarus because he is the resurrection. Beloved He is the arrival of the glory of God in history. This is the renovation and the glory of God showing up in time. Whatever it is that you're waiting for, there is nothing in this realm that can stop the power and the glory of God, be it death, or be it life, if you are alive and God has you in a waiting season, know that the power and the glory of God that will show up is because God loves you enough to show you his glory. We expect him to remove our suffering We expect him to remove our disappointment. We expect him to remove our pain. And most of the time, God does. But if you are in a painful waiting season right now, know that God has greater glory for you that is yet ahead. All God is waiting for you to say is, I know that God has a plan. I know that God understands. I know that God is with me in this waiting season. I know that I can trust God. I'm going to take my hands off of it. I'm going to take my opinion off of it and I'm going to wait on God. And while I'm waiting, no matter how I feel, While I'm waiting, no matter how disappointed I am, while I'm waiting, no matter how much my heart is broke into, we will declare that God is good. We will declare that God loves us. We will declare that God is in charge of our times. Hallelujah. He's good. Thank you, Jesus. He's in charge with resurrection power. 
Resurrection power takes the impossible and makes it possible. It might be Friday in your life right now, but know that Sunday morning's coming after a while. Be encouraged, beloved, those tears that are falling from your eyes. Not a single one was wasted. Every moment of your waiting period, not a single moment is wasted. Use that minute, use that moment to give God the praise. And while you are waiting, God is going to use you. Mm. Yes, you don't feel like ministering, but God wants you to get up mm, to the glory of God. And as you get up, one day God says, let's go. As you get up, as you move forward, God is going to reveal himself through his glory. God bless you. If you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have done many things that don't please you. I have lived my life for myself only. I am sorry and I repent. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross for me to save me. You did what I could not do for myself. I come to you now and ask you to take control of my life. I give my life to you from this day forward. Help me to live every day for you in a way that pleases you. If you prayed that simple prayer with me, please contact me at 231-349-1046. God bless you, beloved. We love you. Amen. Take, hi, A.V. Take your phone off mute and tell everyone goodbye. What? Hey, Evie. 